Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's sermon. Well, a sermon very short and sharp, and maybe not that to the point this morning. Devastating was the news yesterday that the New Zealand Golf Open has once again been cancelled two years in a row now. There'll be a noticeable gap in the engraving on the winner's uh, trophy when next it is played for and won. It's becoming very much like the war years, isn't it, in world sport and New Zealand sport? That gap that they had in the late 30s and 40s when no one played for anything. Uh, just trying to stay alive Uh, and that's not far from what we're doing now is it four days of the best golf New Zealand can provide themed to all parts showcasing the magnificence of Queenstown and its surrounds the best advertising tourism New Zealand will get without having to buy it under the red rules or is it the rules of the reds logistically it's just too damned hard to facilitate too hard for those that have put so much time and energy into actually comply. They are devastated who wouldn't be, particularly as exemptions had been granted for three places, yeah, three places in the 150th Open Championship at St Andrews. What a lure, what an incentive snatched away. And it's a huge kick in the guts, yet another one for Queenstown Lakes and its area. Uh, On the back of last year's cancellation of the golf and the other Iconic draw cards like Challenge Wanaka, Warbirds over Wanaka, the Gibson Valley Winery, Summer Concert, Queenstown Home Show and so many more. Uh, They just keep knocking them over like dominoes. Was it not just days ago the news came through that Super Rugby Pacifica, or Pacific these days, could be totally based in Queenstown very shortly. Six franchises over not just four days, but many weeks dodging each other till the whistle blows around limited facilities. Uh, let's hope they can make that work. It appears a long bow on the evidence of the golf announcement. The upside, though, I guess it gives me time to work on my handicap in the hope that Harty might give me a call. In the past, there's been way too many pretenders that have made the cut. Well, it simply was the news that no one wanted to hear yesterday, not just golf fans, but sports fans, tourism people as well, as the New Zealand Golf Open became the latest COVID sporting event to be cancelled. It promised to be an incredible tournament, as uh, said before, those three spots up for grabs in the 150th Open Championship at St Andrews. What a carrot, Uh, but it will no longer take place in 2022. 
Uh, joining us now to talk about this, I would imagine, is a fairly disconsolate New Zealand golf boss, Dean Murphy. Thanks uh, for joining us uh, this morning, Dean. Very frustrating, annoying, disappointing, so many adjectives, but at the end of the day, it's not going to happen. It's not, and uh, sadly, we, we couldn't be more disappointed, more gutted, more miserable about the whole thing. Um, that doesn't change the fact we just can't do it. Um, we tried bloody hard, did everything we possibly could to try and make it work, um, but sadly, we can't, and it's it's just it's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. Uh, I'm sure it is. I mean, I'm just a fan, um, but uh, you guys that have been attached to it and trying to get make it work, uh, uh, the John Hearts of the World and his group, uh, uh, I imagine, would be really feeling it two years in a row. Now, can you just talk, talk, talk to uh, us and enlighten us? Where does um, the Ministry, I assume we've got the Ministry of Sport come in? How closely do you work with them? Is it anything to do with them or is it straight out dealing with COVID and the, and the Ministry in charge of that? No, well, there's lots of ministries we we um, have interactions with. MB has been the primary one, and they look after the major events kind of portfolio, so they're the primary one. The Ministry of Sport is incredibly useful as well, but, um, you know, as we worked through it and the more we looked at it, um, and, you know, t- to be fair, they, they helped us where they could, but when we're at red, it's almost impossible. Um, you know, we're an event that has 156 players, 156 caddies, a couple of hundred sponsors, you know, thousands and tens and thousands of spectators and, you know, over 500 volunteers and all sorts of, you know, groups of people coming from all over the country. And uh, at red, it's it's pretty fatal. It's it's either on or off. And if we're at red, uh, we just can't do it. And it seems fairly likely and we certainly couldn't get any certainty that would be out of red by the end of March. So that to start with was the fatal blow and then not being able to bring international players in uh, which we originally had had lined up being able to bring them in and have them sort of isolate and be able to train for a short period of time was pretty critical to that international standing and you know having the open exemptions up to St Andrews and all those sorts of things so um, you know that that was a fatal blow as well but really it just comes down to can we do an event at red or not and and we just can't and you know, I, I really hope the rugby guys can get something going. And, you know, they've just got 30 players out on the field and it's a bit easier to do with smaller numbers. But, um, you know, it's, it's it's just heartbreaking. And, you know, John Hart and, and Michael Gladding, plus Millbrook, our, our underwriting partner, huge amount of time, effort and massive amounts of money invested into this event and the one last year. And that's now down the drain, sadly, because we're sitting at red. So uh, the Queenstown area is very, very lucky. Um, a lot of people have put a lot of time and money into it, but at the, as a result, there's some wonderful golfing uh, courses, there's golfing facilities down there. Uh, did you uh, perhaps look at spreading the tournament over uh, a, a wider base, perhaps, so that um, you wouldn't have as much contact and, and then you'd have more toilets available, more facilities, changing rooms, etc., uh, available to you? Yeah, we had a look at, at spreading the field, at dropping the field, just doing a, a really small event with just New Zealanders or, you know, um, spreading things out. In, in the end, it's just too prohibitive at, at red and way too risky that, you know, we will still be there and being able to do it at the scale we need to do it with all of our sponsorship partners and international tour partners, it, it just became impossible, sadly, um, whichever way we looked at it. and. You know, everyone involved with major events know they cost a lot of money to run and all that money isn't just spent in the event week. It's, you know, it's, it's spent in the, the months and years leading up to it. So 
were very deep in this year's event and desperately wanted to make it work. Not least of all because the leading three players would have gone to St Andrews and, you know, mm. what a boost that is for the event. And so we had a good look at it, mate, and every which way we looked at it, it was just way too impossible under the current restrictions. And we desperately want to do it and do it for Queenstown and for Millbrook. And, you know, they've got a wonderful new golf course there to show off to the world that we were keen to do. But... Sadly, it won't be this time around, and um, you know we'll have a crack in 2023. And we, we were lucky, you know, when the first lockdown happened in 2020, we'd just finished our tournament, so we got ours in in, in, in February. Um, and we sat there and thought, geez, there's no way we won't be doing it in 2021. And when 2021 was cancelled, we thought, gosh, there's no way in one well, another year's time we won't mm. be able to do it in 2022. And here we are again, looking optimistically to 2023. It's um, funny old times. <laughs> Yeah, you don't even uh, want to speculate about that at the moment, do you? I mean, there's so many variables uh, between now and then. But, OK, the planning is in, involved there. And uh, uh, I understand the, the good news is that most people, including sponsors and that, are staying with you for that. Yeah, they, they are. It's it's an incredible thing to get support from people who invest their heart and soul and money into things like this. And we're so lucky to have such a great group of people. And, you know, J- John, who leads the tournament for us, has done a great job and, we we couldn't be more happy with the, the support we've got. Our underwriters, Millbrook, are, are world class in the way they act and the way they contribute to this tournament. And everyone's with us. It's just a matter of you know, are we going to be able to do it again in 2023? And you know, you'd certainly hope so. A year down the track from now. Uh, the odd thing is, and I, well, odd's probably the wrong word for it. The good thing is that uh, golf is going through uh, quite a resurgence. Uh, due to COVID, I mean, my, my golf club is closed, I think, for, for in, uh, new entries. Uh, and I'm sure that's the case with many around the country. Getting bookings is very hard on a lot of courses to actually play the game. Uh, so that is, uh, ironically, is very good. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, I probably feel a bit miserable about the whole world right now to talk about the good stuff, but you did right. Um, mate, golf's out of control at the moment. We're memberships about 11% up on the same time last year, which was already 10% up on the year before. The number of rounds being played has grown at about 10% per month. Um, lots of clubs are bursting at the seams and, you know, figuring out how to deal with all the new players coming their way. So, you know, that part of the game is, is going fantastically and our, our clubs around the country are doing a great job. Is there anything uh, you've got perhaps in the pipeline as a small-time replacement for this? I mean... Uh, in all honesty, uh, you know, I, I guess that that is the, your responsibility to try and put events on. So, is there anything, you know, as soon as we possibly get out of red or things ease up a wee bit that you can go ahead with? Yeah, we're, we're looking at a number of things, and you know, we we care deeply about the the professionals and you know their livelihood. So, we're going to try really hard to do a much smaller event that keeps us well under a hundred with players and caddies and you know all the people that need to deliver the event. Uh, we'll try and do something around when we were going to have the New Zealand Open. Um, and, of course, there's a domestic series. We're desperately trying to keep keep afloat. The Charles Tour will keep that rolling where we can and just make sure there's very small small infrastructure and small amount of spectators, what have you. So um, short answer is, yeah, we're, we're doing all we can to keep some opportunities going. It's just heartbreaking. We can't do the New Zealand Open. We, we love that event so mm. much. It was going to be spectacular, but sadly not to be this time around. Yeah, and Queenstown suffers as well, of course. You know, it's a, it's the perfect place to host it. But it's not only that. It's such an opportunity for um, outfits like Tourism New Zealand to showcase because oh, I've done cricket matches down there. Uh, and I tell you what, the, some of those television camera shots that go 
uh, around the world must have inspired people to come visit. Uh, and there's a four-day opportunity missing. Yeah, it is. And the cool thing about golf is that it's a it's a lengthy broadcast, um, not too dissimilar to cricket. You know, we, we're on it, you know, for four or five hours a day for four days, and there's a lot of chance to showcase beautiful vistas and all the tourism activities and everything that makes New Zealand great. And Queenstown's not a bad shop window for us to present up to the world and, you know, coverage of our Open goes all over the world and drives a lot of interest in, in the country generally, but also in golf tourism. So another missed opportunity there to have all those wonderful mm. broadcast up into the world. What can um, what can the government do? What can uh, the government do in terms of MIQ? I mean, you guys must have been around the table thinking about this and exploring possibilities. Uh, can we do more? I mean, we hear so many opportunities uh, uh, are gone begging. We just only look at the Black Caps. Can't even our world champion Black Caps can't tour Australia because they can't get home. I mean, uh, here we are looking at another event that's uh, been knocked on the head that people were so looking forward to. Uh, it just does not seem right that there is not some, for me anyway, some sort of uh, leeway or facility or something um, for these people. Yeah, it does. It does seem hard to to figure out, doesn't it? And I'm sure. Well, we hope there's bright minds working on it, but, you know, there's there's a lot of endeavour from all the sporting codes to, you know, we could have bought 50, 60 Australians in and put them in self-isolation, test them every day, had them independent from everyone else, um, had them practising and, you know, done it in a manner that just about every other country is doing with sporting teams. Um, I know there's a lot of priorities with people getting home for other reasons and, you know, sport perhaps should be back of the queue, but um, when you've got private entities, private sporting organisations wanting to do it and wanting to provide facilities where you can have that sort of thing. It does seem a bit hard to figure out why we can't make that work. Yeah, it is, it's incredibly frustrating and every now and then when something is cancelled you talk to uh, people such as yourself who are charged with the responsibility of taking the game forward and you all say the same thing and I, I just wonder at some point the penny's got to drop here along the way. Anyway, let's uh, talk about something a little bit more positive in the game and I know you're not really in the mood to, but anyway, Lydia Ko, uh, magnificent one, continues to inspire uh, the youth of today. Stephen Elker on the uh, Champions Tour, Danny Lee, uh, Ryan Fox, uh, a good showing in the last tournament. Uh, individually, we have uh, those superstars playing the game uh, very, very well for us at the moment. Yeah, we do, and um, there's quite a few more coming through as well. But focusing on the on the the sharp end, watching Lids on Monday morning, I'm sure all Kiwis really enjoyed that. Um, you know, she played so well, and and you know, bounces around the golf course, brings a great attitude to it. Such a great role model, and you know, I've got two young daughters, Smithy, and if they grow up to be half the person Lids is and and approach life the way mm. she she does, I'll be, I'll be very happy. She's a great New Zealander, and. So cool to see her um, winning again and, you know, she's she's got the kodu on her bag and she's a proud Kiwi and just loves doing what she's doing at the moment and I think that shines through. You can see she's really enjoying life and enjoying uh, her her approach to golf right now and that's, it's paying some dividends, which is fantastic. Well, uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Dean. Uh, I know it's a tough time for you and I can hear it in your voice, the disappointment, so... Uh, <laughs> We'll leave it at that. We're not the only uh, one. Next time, be, you know. <laughs> I know. Next time we talk to you, mate, I, ho I hope it's so. Uh, yeah, I'm sure they are Hardy and um, Mike Glad Michael Glady and Co. Glady and Co. And all those mm -hmm. people that have worked tirelessly uh, underneath them to get this thing going. Uh, got the worst possible news yesterday, but uh, golf will go on. It's a very strong game, well populated. Uh, next time we speak to you, I hope it's uh, uh, in better terms. Anyway, Dean, thanks for your time this morning. Good on you, Smithy. Thank you.
Cheers, uh, Dean Murphy there, who is uh, CEO of New Zealand Golf. And man, you could, you could hear it, couldn't you? You could just hear uh, how disappointed he is, a very positive man, um, about uh, what was going on. And now, of course, it's not going to. So, uh, double eight, double three, uh, are you getting sick of this? Uh, how frustrating is it from your point of view? Uh, there will be those out uh, there listening to say, well, it's only sport. At the end of the day, it's only sport. Uh, it's not life and death. It's not people trying to get home to see sick loved ones or trying to repatriate to the country of birth, etc. So th- there will be those of you, I-, I understand, that will have that opinion. But those of you who are genuine sporting fans, just how sick to the back teeth are you getting of these daily announcements of sporting things in this country being knocked on the head? How sick are you of that? And if you don't want to talk about that, who's the goat of goats? Who's the greatest of all time of the greatest of all time on the back of Tom Brady announcing his retirement yesterday? Is the news of Tom Brady retiring bigger than the news of Tiger Woods possibly retiring? Is it that big? So who for you is the goat of goats in world sport? It is 8833, our text number. It is 0800 150 811, our phone number. Back shortly. This is the goat of goats. This is on the back of Tom Brady retiring yesterday. Uh, the greatest, uh, they're saying, in NFL history. Uh, 22 seasons, uh, seven Super Bowls, uh, unbelievable record. Um, and they say, without, without doubt, that he's the GOAT, particularly of uh, quarterbacks. But uh, you people have come in with a whole lot of different uh, answers straight away. Uh, first one in, Michael Jordan. First one in, Michael Jordan. Uh, that's come uh, from Trent and an unnamed texter. Uh, Michael Jordan is the GOAT. They will still be talking about him in 2300. NFL is not a sport played all over the world. Carl Lewis, Carl Lewis a close second with the medals in multiple track and field events. Uh, here we go. Uh, what about Kelly Slater? See someone. Kelly Slater, 11 world titles. That'll never happen again. Dino's coming, and uh, it has to be Bradman. Surely the best in any sport. To take an average into account, um, really, you have to be Bradman. And no, Dean, I wasn't the best gloves man either, and so I'm not. I'm far from the goat of goats there. <laughs> uh, interesting, isn't it? Uh, you know the number of variations that have, have come in. But uh, you know, so Michael Jordan straight away. Anthony's come in uh, on a couple of things. Uh, he said, uh, "Hi, Smithy JD. All my mates, as sport lovers, look overseas at events happening. Why does this government make it so hard?" We all ask. We are all triple vaccinated. Cheers, Anthony. P.S. P.S. Sport is life. We all need it. Cheers, Anthony. Well, I agree with you. Sport's a huge part of life, particularly in this country. Um, But then again, uh, there is a vast majority of people who don't give a monkey's about it. Um, Can't stand the bloke, but Floyd's record would be hard to go past in the GOAT argument. Uh, I guess that's Floyd Mayweather. Uh, Floyd Money Mayweather, whose record in boxing is... Very, very good indeed. Uh, quite like the Bradman one. I'm never going to argue with the Jordan one. Uh, but no Tiger Woods yet. That's interesting. No Tiger Woods coming in. So keep them coming in. Uh, double eight, double three uh, is our text number. 0800-150-811 is our phone number. Uh, JD, any thoughts initially when uh, when I sprung that? You didn't even know that was coming. When I sprung it, what about you? I enjoyed that, Smithy. It's a great question with Brady retiring, and instantly we were divided here in the studio up in Auckland. Brian, uh, the panellist, instantly said Michael Jordan. 
Uh, that was his first answer, and he's adamant that it's Michael Jordan. What, two, three-peats? So six titles with the Bulls and just amazing. Even his nine-year-old son knows who Michael Jordan is. So that's his lasting legacy. And for me, the first one that came to my mind, Smithy, was the Don, uh, Don Bradman. I mean, if you average 100 in Test cricket... I mean, no one else is even close, Smithy. Like, he is so far the goat of cricket, it's ridiculous. Um, so for me, um, that puts him at the top of all sports people is the Don for me. Smithy, are you able to make a call or are you still mulling it over? Still mulling it over. Um, I, I really didn't ask myself the question before I asked everyone else. So I, I really, <laughs> um, I'm mulling it over. Jared's come in and, and uh, here's his golf answer. Not Tiger Woods, Jack Nicholas. Jack Nicholas. Uh, Matt's come in and said, what about Phil the Power Taylor in terms of dominance in his sport? How do you, uh, I mean, this is the ultimate apples with oranges comparison, isn't it? The ultimate apples with oranges. Uh, but look at those uh, variation in answers. There's probably seven different answers there and still no Tiger Woods in the whole mix. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that throughout the day. Um, very shortly, we shall be talking to uh, Ethan Mitchell, New Zealand cyclist who has multi uh, title winning in terms of the world champs, uh, Commonwealth Games and uh, the Olympics as well. What, what a record he put together. So Ethan Mitchell with us very, very shortly. Uh, but in the meantime, it's time for Karen with the news from 45 balls. Uh, and they are 162 for five at the moment. So uh, make that uh, 162 for six, a magnificent wrong and just bowl one of the English bowlers. So England male favourites perhaps uh, to take that semi-final and go on to uh, the world championship playoff. Uh, but cycling now, and after 12 years in uh, cycling, it's ho- uh, New Zealand's high-performance program, which yielded three world championships, uh, Olympic silver medal, uh, multiple medals at the Commonwealth Games. Uh, our sprint track cyclist, Ethan Mitchell, has decided to hang up the bike, as they say. It's been an incredible career, uh, and just uh, over two weeks shy of his 31st birthday, uh, Ethan has said, enough is enough. He joins us this morning. Uh, Ethan, thank you very much uh, for your time uh, this morning. And when, speaking of time, when did you uh, finally make up your mind? Uh, thank you for having me. I think more than anything, I gave myself time post post Tokyo to to sit here and reflect, and you know, live a little bit of a summer as much as we've had uh, to to make the decision. It was um, probably over the last couple of months, but um, yeah, sitting there with family at the beach, I, I finally got to the decision where I think. The time was right for me, and, and it was time to, to get onto something else. Had it been something you, you'd been sort of thinking about? I mean, going to Tokyo, did you consider that might be your last hurrah? You know, it's funny because when you're when you're competing at that level, and, and I'm sure and I'm sure you can relate to this. There's not a lot else that really goes through your head other than the next race or the next game. And I believe that um, you know I. We gave it everything we could in Tokyo, and, and everything was about certainly with postponement. Everything was about how do we get better in a year's time, uh, and then to come back from from a trip which was completely different to anything I had experienced before, to come back to New Zealand and you know spend that time with family and, and reflect on like you said the twelve years that I've had. Um, it, it, it did take a bit of a process to to get to the point where can I do this anymore, or do I want to? Uh, and then, and then, what next? And yeah, I certainly gave myself the time to to go through those processes, and and I think it's the right decision for me. Was it predominantly mental or physical, Ethan? The decision. 
Uh, I don't think physical. I think I probably had another cycle uh, in my legs. I've got. I've been very, very lucky to have been supported by, in my opinion, the best physio in New Zealand, probably the world. Um, she, yeah, she's kept me, you know, taped up throughout my career, and I'm I'm very lucky to have to have had her by my side. And I mean, if you spoke to her, she said I've probably got another 12 years in me. I don't know if she's just making that one up, but no, I think um, I think mentally I was ready for a new challenge. Um, I think although, you know, although it is a very, very amazing opportunity that I get to travel around the world and ride a bike. I am ready to, to do something different and um, I just think it took a while to get to that point and now that I'm there, I, I'm, I'm very happy with my, my decision. Well, Eddie Dawkins uh, had already retired before the last Olympics, but that combination you had with him and, and Sam Webster, of course, was uh, amazingly successful. Just how tight was the, that bond? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, you know, I think I'm very grateful for sport for bringing us together. I uh, I can call those guys best friends, and, and, and I'm very, very lucky that I found myself in a position out of chance to, to meet both of them, along with a, a bunch of other athletes that I've competed with. Um, we were we are like brothers. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm best man at Sam's wedding coming up, and obviously on the groom's party for Ed's, and I, I just I really, really believe that um, I owe a lot to, to sport in general just to, just to bring us together, and I know going forward, certainly Ed's, Ed's doing really well down in Christchurch and, and Sam's still competing here and, and I know going forward we'll, we'll be sure to support each other in, in whatever walks we um, take on in the future. Clearly very close to Sam then, uh, what was his reaction uh, when you told him uh, he w- you wouldn't be alongside him anymore? I think the thing with Sam is he's, he was always going to support me no matter what I chose and, and he, he if anything helped me make the decision. We, we've got such an open platform as as a as a couple of mates where we can talk, you know, about anything that, that that's come up, and um, I actually really, you know, bounced off his ideas and his thoughts throughout my decision process, uh, and he was he was incredibly supportive throughout the whole, you know, couple of months where I was getting to that point. He um, he's an incredible man, and he's I think he's got a lot of a lot of riding left in his legs as well, and certainly. Uh, get me on my toes for the last 12, 14 years. So, um, yeah, I think I think we're going to still see some pretty good things from him coming forward. What's been the highlight uh, track-wise for, for you, uh, Ethan? Uh, was it Rio uh, back in uh, 2016? Uh, what about the, the World Championship titles um, that you got or the, or the bronze in the individual sprint bronze as well in 2017? Um, hard to separate them all or is there one that stands out? You know, I think um, as special as, as Rio was to, to, to look up and see my family in the crowd, um, I think our first world title in Colombia uh, in 2014, I think it was, we uh, we went in there pretty fresh-faced. We, you know, we didn't necessarily know that we were going to win the thing. And um, for whatever reason in Colombia, uh, the support that a Kiwi, a Kiwi team gets over there is, is ridiculous. We can actually thank the All Blacks for that because they were cheering cheering and screaming All Blacks and we had, you know, two hours of interviews to sign after the, uh, two hours of autographs to sign after the race and everything. And I think for me looking back, and I'm, I'm sure Ed and Sam can can sort of relay this, it's, um, it was a pretty surreal moment to feel like you've gone from, you know, a kid who rides a bike to all of a sudden being at the top of the world. And yeah, looking back for me, I, I 100% believe that was the, 
that was the best race we, we've ever had together as a team. And, and uh, yeah, I'm very fortunate to have been in that position. Technically, um, one of your roles, of course, was uh, was leading out the team and, and such a high gear and having to get that momentum from the start. I mean, physically, uh, it looked incredibly tough to be able to do to, to like a, to explode out of the gates like that. Uh, I, I guess that you won't miss that part of it, but getting that right must have been so satisfying. It is satisfying, and it's like, um, I'm sure it, it relates to a lot of sports. When you're in that flow and when you've got that, um, you know, when your form's good or you're, or you're physically where you need to be, uh, if anything, it doesn't feel like the effort is as hard, and, and I'm sure that goes with a lot of sports. It's, it's just getting that timing right, and once you're there, um, everything sort of flows on. That's 17 seconds worth of effort, um, and it goes, you know, click of the fingers, and I think when you when you hop off the track and you you feel as though you haven't necessarily exerted a lot of energy, you're probably on for a pretty good time. Uh, and yeah, I think that that sort of flowed through the whole team sprint, that 750 metres of it. And I know I know for me, we we spent a lot of time working on that, a lot of time fighting into the to the details. Um, obviously, it is technically pretty challenging, but. Uh, most of my career was, you know, spent in that gate with those two guys outside me, and uh, if anything, looking up at them, I, I needed to get my job right, otherwise I'd be letting them down. So, yeah, no, I, I will, I will actually miss um, being in that environment because it's it's very special, and, and I'm very fortunate to have been able to do it. But um, probably won't miss, uh, you know, getting in that skin tight clothing for much longer. <laughs> Uh, Ethan, uh, along with, um, uh, of course, with Eddie and Sam alongside you, I mean, it's probably not that hard to find inspiration because of your responsibility, the team, etc. But outside of those two, uh, outside of, of that group, that tight-knit group, who, who have been your inspirations and, and the people that have driven you? You know, the thing is, my I, I played cricket and rugby growing up and my dad was always the person who would, you know, pick up my cricket bag when I forgot it for, for school training or turn up on a on a Saturday and a Sunday for rec cricket and, and, and be there hundred percent walking around the walking around the the boundary rope. And I just think the thing for me is um when you've got family and friends who are so supportive of your journey and, and it be twelve years or and longer as a kid, um you seek motivation in that. I, I certainly found a lot of motivation in that and I know since making this decision uh and getting back into Auckland and, and Seeing the guys that I went to school with and how how proud they are of what I've done, I can't uh, I can't go to a you know a restaurant or or whatever without them walking up and trying to introduce me as an Olympic cyclist. So um, no, I think I think feeling feeling that from from the sidelines and, and always having that support there uh, throughout what I've done um, has been incredibly motivating for me and and alongside some of the the coaches I've been fortunate enough to work with. Um, I, I can wholeheartedly say that I've had the best career and, and I've been very, very lucky to to share it with uh, two of my best mates. Uh, Ethan, uh, what about uh, how you leave the, the state of uh, track cycling? Uh, how's the health of it? You know, I think there's um, there's some real opportunity there for some of these young guys to grow and, and to really, you know, pay their own path for use of a better word. So I think um, although track cycling in New Zealand has been 
you know, through a lot in the last six months to a year, I do I do believe um, I'm leaving the sport knowing that there is some seriously good people in that organisation, and uh, I've only felt felt that throughout my career. I think I'm, I'm very very lucky to be close to all of these people, and certainly on the sprint side, we've got some we've got some serious talent there as well, and. Uh, I know how motivated they are. I was in there at the track yesterday, and and just to see those guys flying around made me realise I probably couldn't get on a bike and do it right now. So um, I'm really excited to see to see what comes through. I know certainly from my experiences, cycling's been the best thing for me. Um, very very lucky to have the facilities we do in New Zealand, the support we do from from high performance sport, and yeah, I, I hope you know, and I and I think I will see future champions coming through from from some of our younger kids and and uh, more, more gold medals at the Olympics, I'm pretty sure. Ethan Mitchell, it's been great chatting to you, mate. Uh, congratulations on a phenomenally successful uh, last 12 years uh, uh, representing New Zealand uh, but uh, and what you've achieved in cycling in, in general. Wish you well for what's uh, next on the radar for you. And uh, again, thank you for your time and uh, uh, exceedingly well done. Thank you. Thank you, mate. appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, cheers. Uh, Ethan Mitchell there, who has just announced his retirement uh, as a world champion, Olympic medalist, uh, represented us uh, so well with, uh, with dignity, etc. Um, we've been so proud of uh, that team too, haven't we, uh, over the years, uh, the, the Dawkins, Mitchell uh, and Webster team. Webster, only survivor now, Sam Webster, uh, of that group. Uh, so thank you very much. Uh, Ethan, 9.44 here on SENZ. When we return, the texts are flowing in on the GOATs. On the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. Wait, straight away. I am the greatest. 9.49. Uh, someone has come in and said, uh, what about Muhammad Ali, self-proclaimed greatest of all time? Uh, so, yeah, I, I guess that, that uh, is a huge possibility. Uh, how could Tiger Woods be the GOAT uh, when Jack Nicholas has won more majors, uh, says JB, who also adds... Uh, Roger Federer, for him, I should have added uh, that I also believe that uh, he has a win or two left in him. Mm, if he started uh, winning a, a couple of slams uh, towards the end of uh, this year, perhaps, uh, we'd have to revisit that. Uh, how about the the, the great one? Uh, Wayne Gretzky must be uh, up near the top. Uh, Usain Bolt for sustained sustained dominance, Pelé in football circles. Uh, Brian from Fokatani says Michael Phelps ha- has to be... Uh, the best, but Tiger, a close runner-up. Um, so here we go from Steve. Morning, Smithy. The goat in my mind would have to be uh, the self-proclaimed goat, and that is Muhammad Ali. To be the world champion, be banned from your sport for a number of years and reclaim the title, not once but twice, not to mention his charisma or the attention he brought to his sport. Back in those days, the heavyweight world champion of the world was the world's highest-profile sportsman due to what he added. Uh, Zade's thrown a few... Uh, particular uh, entries in, if you like, if you can call them entries. Uh, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Shaquille O'Neal. Not sure Shaquille O'Neal's in the mix there. Um, okay, Brendan McCullum in, in cricket. Sachin Tendulkar and Sangakara. Uh, boxing, uh, Mike Tyson, Floyd Mayweather. And rugby, Richie McCaw, Kieran Reid and Daniel Carter. Uh, so, uh, so many goats there. You could uh, probably knit a blanket off their uh, particular goat here, couldn't you, to be honest. But uh, thank you very much for, for that uh, this morning. Uh, and uh, continue to send them in. Double eight, double three is uh, our text number. One oh eight hundred one five oh eight eleven, 
And this game of cricket between Afghanistan and England is turning out to be a ripper. Uh, Afghanistan uh, could knock out England. I mean, imagine that. Afghanistan knocking out England. Uh, they're on track to do that all of a sudden. Uh, we'll be back with an update on that. Uh, and also a multi just prior to 10 o'clock. Well, it's uh, multi time, uh, 9.57 here on SENZ. Uh, yesterday we uh, got pretty close, the Central Strags, to beat uh, the Auckland Aces. Well, they didn't beat them, they absolutely murdered them, to be honest, in cricketing terms. Very, very dominant there. Uh, we'll be talking to Will Young very shortly uh, after the uh, news here at 10 o'clock. Uh, Indiana Pacers uh, to beat the Clippers, yeah, well, they got up in the end. Uh, but Australia let us down in the very last minute. They conceded a penalty uh, to Oman, and that uh, ended up being a two-all. 89th minute. Uh, that was a $5 multi down the gurgler. So we'll have a crack today. This one's going to be worth potentially $5.95. The Toronto Raptors to beat the Miami Heat. So uh, we'll just uh, tickle along there with the basketball, although uh, I don't have a lot of faith in uh, NBA basketball because I'm not quite sure how much it means to the players when they chop and change clubs so often and they play so many games. How does it, uh, how do you get yourself up for a big performance every day? It's physically and mentally impossible. So we'll go the Raptors. Uh, the Western Sydney Wanderers play tonight. Uh, they're uh, a buck 80 to beat Perth Glory. Uh, and another football matches, uh, important ones. The USA to beat Honduras at $1.14. That's almost a given, isn't it? Uh, and then Canada at uh, $1.80 to beat El Salvador. Uh, that could be a good one as well. $5.95 for that one. Uh, W.G. Grace has come in as uh, the GOAT, uh, an amazing cricketer. Uh, Dean has come in and said, uh, Usain Bolt, all day, the fastest man of all time, all day. Uh, in his opinion, uh, he also says uh, Ali lost plenty of fights, but his arm just got raised because of who he was. So uh, it's a pretty interesting one. Um, Mark has come in. Um, I feel bad for New Zealand golf and the fans. I don't feel bad for Queenstown. There are other places suffering. They've relied on overseas tourists for too long, says Mark. Okay. Uh, Jared says, Smithy gutted to hear New Zealand Open cancelled uh, again. And I'm not. Um, I'm sorry, not good enough. We are well behind in terms of the rest of the world. And not just sport either. Kiwis locked out of our own country. Or, but the only one in the world, for God's sake. But you won't hear from our kind leader of or the Minister of Sport, will we? Smithy, where is the Kiwi can-do attitude? Don't know, Jared. Don't know. Uh, it might be lost in red, shall we say that. Uh, it's coming up to 10 o'clock, and it's news time with Karen. Now, register at longestday.org.nz. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. It is 10.03 here on SENZ. Good morning to you all. Hope uh, your Wednesday is going mighty fine. Uh, I can tell you in uh, the game of uh, cricket in Antigua at the moment, England uh, are trying to defend against Afghanistan. Uh, Afghanistan are six down. They need 20 from 13 deliveries. That would be, I would say, quite a major upset. Um, so we'll just keep an eye on that. Um, and one player who's had experience too, uh, at the Under-19 World Cup, captain us actually, is uh, Will Young. He joins us on the phone now. He's had a brilliant summer with the bat, uh, and that continued yesterday in Palmerston North uh, when he scored 100 for the Stags, and they scored a comprehensive win over Auckland. Uh, also had a good year for the Black Caps. So uh, congratulations on that, Will. Thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, tell us a, a wee bit about your memories of uh, the Under-19 World Cup. Good morning, Smithy. Um, yeah. 
back to uh, 2012, when the 19 World Cup was in Australia. Um, we had a, a talented side, actually, and I think of the 15 that were there, 10 or 11 of them are still playing first-class cricket now, and some of them are obviously playing for New Zealand as well. So we lost to India in the semi-final um, after well, not being able to chase 200. So got a bit of sweet memories, but, but nice to get as far as the semi-final and... Um, yeah, look back on it with, with really fond memories. Nice stepping stone for a lot of guys too, isn't it? Just to compare themselves with what's going on around the world. Yeah, I mean, to be thrown into, into that sort of professional environment for, for a 17, 18, 19-year-old pretty cool because you get a taste of what cricket's really like at the next level. Um, in my opinion, it's quite difficult for, for young budding cricketers to, to make that transition from... Um, sort of school cricket into the first class game so that under 19 stepping stone is, is a really important one Well uh, well, you made it um, and uh, of course uh, it's been um, a real effort for you to, to get as far as you have now uh, and coming up 10 years later uh, let's go back as recently as yesterday though uh, fine hundred um, on uh, Palmerston North soil it's a ground that don't, you don't get to play off that, that often but uh, you found it to your liking yesterday yeah, yeah, it was. Um, it's it's cool to play in Palmy. Um, I think that's the special thing about playing for CD is you've got, well, normally three, but now four really quality home venues. And Palmy, they've put in a lot of a lot of money into Fitzherbert Park. They've got some good nets there, and and the wickets, um, the wicket and the ground is a good one. So that was cool yesterday um, to to spend some time in the middle after after being put in by by Auckland, and we got to two two ninety six in the end, which was a few more than, than what we wanted. We sort of spoke about 270, 280. So, yeah, to be able to contribute towards setting that target was, was really cool. And then obviously to, to come away with the one afterwards is just a great way to start off the campaign for, for the Stags. Well, the Stags have had a pretty a pretty proud history, actually, uh, in the Ford Trophy and the 50-over competition. And um, what you're, you've only played three games, you're unbeaten. I think uh, you had one abandoned as well. But... Uh, you're up the top of, of the ladder. Still uh, a, a long way to go, though. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a funny competition this year because um, the the disruptions with, with COVID-19 have meant that teams have sort of caught up four trophy games here and there. But um, So we've played three games. I think ND have played six games already. So over the next couple of weeks, that leaderboard will start to, to even out. I think it's a bit sort of funny to get your head around looking at it at the moment but yeah over the next couple of weeks um yeah um the the better sides will stand out and um and we'll be into the 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 elimination finals in no time so um i think i think same with any competition really you can't look too far ahead just a game at a time as you said Smitty, there's there's a, a lot of games of cricket left so just a game at a time and try to get as many wins on the board as possible well, well, uh, your career has um, has been a good story because it's it's uh, fairly typical for uh, you know a young guy who who wants to realise his dreams. You've had to be be very very patient. You've had to wait in the wings. You've had frustration, um, uh, particularly uh, if I look back to uh, 2019 when you were due to make your test debut, uh, and then of course that test against uh, Bangladesh and Christchurch was called off due to that terrorism incident. So. I mean, how frustrating has it been waiting for you? Did you ever think it would come around at one point? Yeah, it has been a long journey. Um, you know, 10 years since that Under-19 World Cup now, and 
you know, and having that dream of playing for, for New Zealand. And, um, yeah, there's been certainly some ups and downs along the way. Um, 2019 was, was a particularly challenging time in that respect because, you know, there was, as you say, the, the terrorism incident in Christchurch. Um, but I was in really good form at the time and I, I hurt my shoulder and had to have um, surgery on that, which meant six to nine months out. Um, and that's really tough to take when you when you feel like, you know, your dreams are just within your grasp. grasp. So, um, you know, it's the, the beauty about cricket is, is, is challenging. Um, you know, you're going to fail more times than... Than not, which is the, which is just just cricket and what makes it so so unique and challenging. So, to to be where I am now and to to you know being a, a more regular feature in, in the Test side, especially, is is a fantastic feeling. And yeah, I want to you know long may it continue. I'm I'm loving my cricket at the moment and and um, and yeah, loving representing my country. Do you think uh, the fact that you've had to wait so long that you've actually come into the test environment relatively late in your cricketing life I mean you know you're, you're around the 30 mark I mean does, does that does that you think that's helped you in terms of uh, um, maturity towards the test level you know one of the criticisms of, of test players is they come in a wee bit too young and then they they go and they go back and they they reinvent themselves or readjust um, uh, how do you feel that's been in your situation yeah I mean Experiencing cricket is such an important thing, and knowing, you know, who you are as a person, and also who you are as a cricketer. Um, so, yeah, it, as you alluded to earlier, it has been a long wait, but it actually might be a good thing. Um, so I get to to have a crack at, at that level, knowing my game a bit better than perhaps if I got an opportunity four or five years earlier. So, um, yeah, I see it as a blessing in disguise, and I suppose it also. Um, you know, as a testament to to the to the experienced guys in, in, in the Black Caps environment, because it's meant that the guys waiting in the wings have have been able to find out a lot about their game and and sort of mature as cricketers in the domestic game, so that when they get to the international level, you know, they can just go out and express themselves and um, and enjoy it rather than you know putting too much pressure on yourself to, to perform at that level. So, yeah, I mean, it's New Zealand cricket's in a great at the moment because of the, the depth um, that's there, you know, across all facets of the game, batting and bowling. So, no, it's, a, it's exciting times for New Zealand cricket. Where do you like to bat? What's your preference? <laughs> it's a good question, Smitty. Um, I've, I've batted at three most of my career, three and four, um, but but as you know, the, the black cap side is, is mighty hard to, to break your way into and there was an opening at the top of the order. And and that's sort of how I've reshaped my game in the last sort of two or three years is to um, to make the most of that opportunity. So to tell you the truth, me, I'll, I'll bet wherever I'm put. Um, I feel that my game is uh, yeah, I'm happy with my game at the moment to, to adjust to whatever conditions and situations are in front of me. So yeah, happy I'm thinking about it at the moment. Uh, we're talking uh, predominantly now about uh, red ball cricket, test cricket, but um, I, I think you really um, made a real mark and, and uh, made a statement in white ball cricket too uh, in the series against uh, Australia uh, for the New Zealand eleven, scoring 200s and a 60 in three consecutive innings. Um, what, did, what do you feel that ma- uh, did for you? What do you feel it, it made for your career? 
Yeah, I mean that was that was back in, in twenty nineteen as well and I was in to some some good form domestically and that opportunity came up at the end of the season, um, basically as a warm up for the guys going to the World Cup because but because some of the guys were playing IPL it meant a few guys like myself got an opportunity to play against, you know, the the Australian World Cup squad and um it was just a fantastic opportunity to, to test test out where my game was at against the world's best players and um, you know to have to take that confidence from facing guys like Cummins and Stark and Lyon and, and the likes and you know being in the field and watching Steve Smith and, and the like go about their work was just an incredible opportunity and sort of reaffirmed in my own mind that I, I can make it at this level and, and sort of you know made me want to play for New Zealand all that all that much more because I knew that you know if I could get in there and, and back myself and have some fun then I knew I could have some success so um, no it's awesome it's just yeah looking back on it now such a great opportunity to, to test myself out against international players and, and know that I can do it and sort of thank that confidence when, when the time did come to, to play for New Zealand Well speaking of testing yourself against uh, good players uh, you've got a challenge coming up very shortly, and that is uh, South Africa all going well. Uh, both uh, test matches at Hagley Oval, and uh, on the evidence we've seen, uh, pretty green pitches back-to-back. Yeah, you're right, Smithy. It's Hagley's sort of becoming renowned for its for its bounce worldwide, actually. So um, it's going to be a real test. Um, you know, I'm sure a lot of the um, you know cricketing public around New Zealand had, had their eye on the South African Indian Test Series um, a couple of weeks ago. It was, it was an awesome Test Series. And to, to to have South Africa come to our shores now and, um, you know, we get a chance to, to have a crack against them after playing so well against India, um, yeah, it's, it's just another fantastic opportunity. And, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be tough. Um, but that's what Test Cricket's all about. So something that, that the whole squad are, are really looking forward to. Who's helped you um, along the way before you got to uh, international level? Who, who was your, your batting mentor as such? Did you have one? Um, I didn't so much have you know a batting idol or someone that I really looked up to. I tried to always have an open mind and, and take little bits and pieces from from wherever I could get it, really. Um, but I'm a proud Central Districts man. I grew up in, in Yukama. Um I had a a coach there by the name of Debu Bannock, an Indian man who um, <clears throat> moved over to Taranaki and, and helped me from a really young age, which is just such an awesome asset to have, really. Whenever I wanted to hit balls, I was in, in the uh, Taranaki Indoor Centre um, with him. And then, <clears throat> yeah, from there, my career went into under-19s, and I was lucky enough to play for the Stags, really. And, um, you know, I, I look at someone, perhaps like Ross Taylor, who... Um, was always around when um, when I first started playing for CD. He was the CD legend, so I always looked up to someone like him. And then so I've been playing cricket with him now for the past sort of ten years, on and off. And and even you know play test cricket with Ross was was awesome. So yeah, it was really cool yesterday in Palmy. Um, obviously Ross was in the mix as well, and he was in really good form. The boys got around him, and he was telling some old stories and stuff. It was it was really cool. So. Yeah, I hope that answers your question, Smithy. I, I had help in Taranaki from a young age and, and then just tried to, to nitpick people's brains throughout my career from there. So, 
I've been pretty lucky in that regard. What about T uh, Twenty cricket? Well, uh, we've talked about the other two disciplines. I, I'm just reading through the list of 24 New Zealanders in the IPO auction, and I can't see your name in it. I'm not putting yourself in the auction this year. No, 20, 20, look, I, I, love, I love playing 2020 cricket, um, and the reason I didn't put my name in the in the IPL auction is I've already signed a deal with, with uh, North End to go over and play some county cricket for them, so as soon as the season concludes, I'll be um, heading over to the UK to play some more county cricket, um, and also um, the, their one-day competition over there, so I see see that as a as a great opportunity as well, rather than um, tuck my name in, in the IPL option. I think uh, I need to have slightly more credentials to um, yeah to to boast the spot in the IPL just at this stage. Uh, well, it's been a pleasure getting to know you uh, a wee bit better, and I'm sure our listeners will too, because at this stage uh, you've been the quiet figure that has come into the Black Caps and done exceptionally well. So uh, long may that continue. Good luck against South Africa. Good luck with the Stags and North Hanson. Whatever's coming up, you sound busy, but you sound like you're loving it. Uh, thanks very much for your time. I appreciate that, Smitty. Thanks very much, mate. Yeah, cheers. Uh, Will Young, folks, uh, mark that name down because uh, he is going to be the uh, run scorer, I think, that will replace um, the product the production that Ross Taylor had. Uh, might have to cover for Kane Williams's work, Kane Williamson as well at times. He's going to be the nucleus. He's part of the new nucleus, uh, the Latham-Conway Hopefully Williamson Young, Nucleus with Nichols if he can get some form back. So uh, we need that top five going forward in uh, Test cricket, particularly against South Africa, I feel. Uh, and Will Young will be tested there. But, uh, man, his technique looks very sound. He looks a heck of a player. Uh, it's 10.18 here on SENZ. And uh, we have a panel very shortly. You're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Well, a very, very popular panel we've got this morning. Uh, Kimberly Downs, who always rates very highly with us. Uh, and Sam Stewart, uh, Sam Stewart, Sam Hewitt, our very own Sam Hewitt, who I can see sitting in the studio live in Auckland. I hope that's not an open cup of coffee that I can see to the right. But I, what I can see, Sam, I, what I can see is number 12, Tom Brady's shirt on. So... I guess a day of celebration, but a, a little bit of day of sadness for you. It is, Smithy. Tommy Touchdowns, TB12, uh, one of my uh, sporting idols. Um, a little bit disappointed that he didn't uh, give us a little bit of raps in his uh, retirement announcement, uh, but six Super Bowls is enough for me. Um, so happy with that. But uh, no, Smithy, he, um, look, I went to America about 10 years ago, moved to Boston. Um, my soccer coach took me to a, a Patriots training session and I saw Tom Brady throwing live. And um, that's sort of one of my most treasured sports memories because I didn't know that I was going to, you know, fall in love with the Patriots and fall in love with watching Tom Brady. Um, but, you know, over the years, he's, he's given me plenty of memories. And, and it's sort of, you think of guys like Grant Elliott and his six and the All Whites in 2009. Sports stars and sports moments often give us the most emotional sort of memories. Um, and so that's what Tom Brady's given me over the last um, sort of 10 years. And, you know, I probably thought he was going to retire six years ago. So in a way, it's been coming um, and not unexpected. So, but it's been a great run. Um, he will be, you know, probably regarded as the greatest football player in the NFL of all time. Um, I don't think anyone's going to match his records, not anytime soon. So, yep, sad day, but also a celebration, Smithy. Well, speaking of celebrations, congratulations, Kimberly Downs. What wonderful news in the media industry. 
Oh, thank you, Smithy. What a way, what a nice way to start the year. Full of the uh, full of the congrats and compliments. So I appreciate that. It's an easy way to ease into it. But no, very, very, very happy. Um, although I have been relegated to couch watching uh, Ollie over at the Winter Olympics at the moment. But no, good times all around at the moment. Well, at least he's there, Kimberly, and uh, uh, at least it's going to happen. Um, as opposed to a lot of things that are not happening in New Zealand sport and world sport. But New Zealand in particular, we feel them, and we're really feeling for the golf people. The Open cancelled for the second year in a row. Do you foresee this is going to stop at this stage? Surely. I mean, when that happens, I guess your guess is as good as mine, as good as anyone's, but it does just get to the point where it feels like it's just hammer blow after hammer blow, and it's hard to keep up at the moment with how many things are being cancelled or being put off and it's it's the golf as well obviously one of you know our most prestigious events you feel for those guys but you also really feel for these events like the coast to coast they had to can the two-day event and particularly for the athletes that are involved you know you look at something like that and the athletes that are going to compete in that have by and large made a year-long sacrifice to train for it for a one-off once-in-a-lifetime opportunity so to have that pulled out from under them um, I, I, I can only imagine how crushing that must be I do have to say I, I feel quite a bit for some of our sporting organizations at the moment who are trying to organize events uh, in a safe manner under the current restrictions and not knowing and not having the certainty around when things are going to change but it does like I said before it does just feel like the hits keep coming uh, across all sport at the moment, and it's it's not pleasant for them. It's it's not pleasant for anyone. Sam, you've got to wonder, you know, what it does to these people. I mean, uh, I could hear it in the voice this morning uh, when we were talking golf. Um, you know, it's it just so soul destroying for some of these people. You must they must feel like giving up at some point. Yeah, I think you know the hard thing, Smithy. About a year ago, when when competitions were getting cancelled, it was sort of. I was optimistic because I thought, you know, once we all start getting vaccinated, you know, sport is not going to have this problem anymore. And we're going to be able to go to stadiums and we're going to have competitions. Everything's going to go back to normal. And it just seems like this year is just a repeat of last year. We're just seeing events fall over. And I've said this yesterday with, with staff, you know, I'm not, I'm not criticising them for making these decisions because they have to. But the competitions that are going ahead with a different sort of mechanic, you know, Super Rugby looking to move to one place and bubbling and all that sort of stuff. It's a compromised product, you know. You're not playing at the stadiums where the fans can go and watch and the fans aren't getting the full experience. So, you know, it's hard to criticise them because they have to do it, but it's they're only doing it because they're trying to, you know, make back the money, the, the, the thousands or millions of dollars that they're losing. Um, but the ones that get cancelled outright, it is really sad. And I know the New Zealand Open, for me, I was looking forward to the three British Open slots Smithy, you know, three Kiwis potentially mm. um, going to the British Open. So, um, yeah, really disappointing. Yeah, uh, soul-destroying, I call it, really soul-destroying. When you, you know how hard they work at their games for limited opportunities that they get. Uh, speaking of uh, someone who might be a little uh, soul-destroyed is, is Kyle Jamison, Sam. Uh, you know, what, was it $2.7, $2.8 million last yep. year? And not a, an inkling of interest this year. No, um, and I heard Bears talking about this this morning, and he, he obviously knows a lot more about it than, than we do, uh, being a coach over there. And, and he did make a good point that, you know, Kyle Jamison is probably, he needs to be a little bit more battle-hardened. You've got guys like Williamson and Trent Bolt who, you know, they've been playing for years and years and years. They can handle a demanding 
you know, IPL, go straight into the black caps, go back to their domestic side. They can do that and, and still perform at a high level. Jameson's still at that point of his career. He probably needs to get a little bit more, you know, black caps cricket, domestic cricket under his belt before he starts breaking into the IPL. Plus, um, Baz did mention, I don't know how it works, Smithy, but he mentioned that the next auction is going to be a smaller pool. And therefore, supply and demand would suggest he may get a higher price at the next auction. Mm. So I'm not sure how that works, but maybe it's a bit of a tactical choice from him there. Well, he actually makes a good point because uh, I'll, I'll be, if my memory serves me right, he was one of the last picks last year. And because uh, uh, he was in a role where uh, they were short on uh, quick bowlers, bounce bowlers, um, and guys that could bat a wee bit, uh, he fell into a bracket of about to three players for three jo- or four jobs or something. I bet that's how it became so competitive and the bidding went so high, I mean, because to be honest, at that point, um, he was uh, he was not going to be considered, uh, and all of a sudden he was a multi-millionaire. Hey, hey guys, stay with us, please, uh, Kimberly and, and to you, Sam, please stay with us. Uh, we're going to have uh, a, a quick break, and uh, when we come back, uh, how about Justin Langer uh, having to reapply for his job, causing a real storm over in Australian cricket yet again? I've had some fun lately. Uh, here's Karen with the news. Sam Hewitt in the studio in Auckland and Kimberly Downs on the phone. Uh, The panel this morning, uh, Kimberly, uh, we've just talked about um, the demise of the uh, golf open, but at the same time, we hear the announcement that Super Rugby may well be shifting their lock, stock, and barrel from a New Zealand point of view. Um, And it just makes me wonder how that can happen over the course of probably two months. Yet the golf can't over four days. So what's the difference there in, in the way you look at it? I mean, I guess at least with rugby, they can kind of compartmentalise the teams a bit more and separate them out and kind of keep to those 100-person limits. I think one of the real issues with the golf, wasn't it, was that you're looking at 200-odd players plus caddies plus support um, and plus all of the people who needed to be there in that one point and they probably couldn't separate them out in the same way. I guess what New Zealand rugby is hoping to do here is formulate some system where the teams are just in their pods and then on game day, there are fewer than 100 people at the ground. But I've got a lot of questions over how this is going to work. Are these players going to be in a bubble in Queenstown? How is that sort of thing going to go? Surely there are still plenty of risk factors at play here. Obviously, uh, with Omicron in the community, there are major concerns about what happens if one of the players catches COVID, what that means for their team, what that means for the entire competition. So I don't envy the position that New Zealand rugby has been having to make this decision. At the same time, moving them all to this location for however long and in whatever way just brings up a whole lot of added issues. So very much looking forward to seeing where we go on this front, hoping to catch up today actually um, with some of the guys from Moana Pacifica. I know Scott Robertson has been talking this morning as well from the Crusaders um, and is, is, is just kind of in a bit of a wait-and-see pattern as much as any of us, so hoping to get a lot more information on this as well today. But like I say, just a lot of questions over some of the logistics of how that will work and feeling as well for the players who are probably in a bit of limbo at the moment. Yeah, I wonder about the players too, Sam. I just wonder how happy they are about this because it's like a mini version of the Breakers, uh, the Phoenix, uh, the Women's Phoenix, of course, having to relocate away from everybody isolate um, uh, away from everybody. Uh, I just wonder whether uh, this would be relatively new for a lot of rugby guys, how, how they're going to buy into that. 
Yeah, it's true, Smithy. I guess a few of them may have dealt with it through that NPC season with some of the, I mean, maybe not the Auckland teams, but no, Waikato obviously had to relocate. Um, but, you know, I, I guess what I said before, like that they're only doing it because they need the competition to go ahead. The players need the competition to go ahead because, you know, there's a lot of money at stake. There's jobs at stake. There's careers at stake. Um, but, yeah, it's it's not going to be – they're not going to be playing in, in front of their home fans. They're not going to be able to be in their, their home community, which is also a big part of these teams, you know, is getting out in the community during the week um, and, and supporting, you know, their, their sponsors and, and charities and that sort of thing. So um, I think it's going to be – yeah, it, it, it's just another year, Smithy, where we're sort of just hanging our heads going, how long is this going to keep going before we go back to normal? I mean, you know, we're all, you know, we've, we've all vaccinated now and, and, you know, there's going to be variants all the way down the road. So at what point do we just bite the bullet? I don't know, but um, it's going to be I, tough. It'll be tough. Kimberly, uh, I just wondered too about the Blues, of course, uh, you know, a lot of Auckland players, as Sam pointed out, they had, they had any rugby, uh, whether they're keen or not, whether there'll be ramifications amongst their group. And, and also, Kimberly, um, nothing from New Zealand rugby. Well, where does this leave super rugby or picky? That is also a great question. You would have to assume, in my mind anyway, there is no way that they can push ahead with a super rugby season, even in a bubble, and not then do the same to super rugby or picky. It's just way too important a year on the rugby calendar for women's rugby looking forward to the World Cup. I think it became very, very clear after those tests in Europe last year uh, that these women need a higher standard of rugby and that higher level of domestic competition going into the World Cup. So I just can't see how they could not do it. In saying that, I know the women are obviously getting paid a bit, but you then need to factor in how they're going to manage that. Who's taking on travel costs, accommodation costs, who is looking after the support for the families, all of those sorts of things come into it. It is logistically uh, just an absolute nightmare. But like I say, I would be, uh, I think, probably not the only one who would be up in arms if anything happened to that competition and yet they push so hard to get Super Rugby itself going. And just to Sam's point as well, when you're talking about the players, yep, some of them will be used to it. Um, you will have those guys at the more professional end. You know, you guys who play for the All Blacks are kind of used to this bubble system and they're getting, you know, well reimbursed for it. I'm really feeling for the guys, though, who are kind of on the fringes of these teams who, you know, not even necessarily going to be named in the playing squads at each game um, and, and the expectations that will be on them. Um, because I can imagine if I was in that position, I wouldn't be that keen to shoot down somewhere to potentially sit in a bubble for however many weeks uh, and, and looking at the prospect of not much game time either. So we'll see how it all goes. I'll give you an interesting scenario too, uh, Kimberly, in terms of women's sport. Of, of course, the Women's World Cup for cricket is, is not far away. In fact, it starts uh, scheduled to start uh, on the 4th of March. Uh, and that's a big, massive thing for uh, this country. Uh, I'm actually really looking forward to uh, commentating uh, a number of games there. Uh, but I was in contact last night with uh, the production house uh, for television worldwide of this event. You know, they can't even tell me at this point uh, what games I'll be commentating because um, they, and they can't give me any flight details or anything because they don't know how many commentators they can get in the country. So, uh, that, I mean, that, that's just a, an example I've been, I have been close to, Kimberly, about how to how put these damn big events together and leave it as late as possible. I mean... Do you want to commentate women's, the Women's Cricket World Cup, Kimberly? I mean, 
Yeah, it's a classic example, isn't it? At least I think, thankfully, hopefully, there will be some added certainty when this border announcement is made tomorrow, although I guess we'll have to wait and see what the specifics are as to what that means for, for foreign nationals coming to do something like commentating the cricket. Again, another event I really feel for, and it's just, it is frustrating as well, I think, when you look at it from the perspective of what a boomer couple of years this is meant to be for women's sport in New Zealand with the Cricket World Cup, with the Rugby World Cup, with FIFA uh, next year as well. Um, and it actually is kind of almost upsetting uh, in a way to kind of see it happening in this way. And particularly, Cindy, I mean, you'll remember the scenes from the T20 World Cup final over in Melbourne mm. just before covid became a thing, 80,000 fans at the MCG to watch a Women's World Cup final. And that was the sort of thing I was envisaging. And I think the players themselves were envisaging coming here this time and hoping to see that sort of support. Um, And so to have this kind of shadow cast over it, yeah, frustrating. Uh, Sam, I know you're dressed as Tom Brady today, but put yourself uh, in the uniform of Justin Langer. You've just uh, defended the Ashes, uh, 4-0, could have been 5. Uh, you've won the T20 World Cup, uh, all in the space of months. And uh, your boss say, well, Justin, well done, but hey, just by the by, if you want your job back, you've got to reapply for it. Man, is this causing a storm overseas? It's so bizarre, Smithy, because you usually see these sorts of uh, internal strikes with teams that are performing terribly. Um, I just it just baffles me that he's the, he's a T Twenty World Cup winner. He's, he won the Ashes four 0 The top, the side you'd say is, is sort of hissing, um, and you know that this this is coming out. And I think I read as well um, that there were reports from inside the team, from players and staff, that said they feel they perform better when he's as far away from the team as possible. So you know even the players are sort of distancing themselves from Justin Langer. I don't really know how it's going to end, Smithy, to be honest. Um, you know, do you get rid of a coach that's brought you success or is it, is it come more from the team and they think they can do it without him? Um, but, you know, we sort of see this a little bit more in, in modern day sports where players don't sort of stand for the old, the coach who, you know, maybe comes down a little bit harder on them um, than they could have done in the past and you get these sort of player mutinies. Um, but like I said, it's just bizarre that it's coming from a team that is performing well. Yeah, it sounds like Pat Cummings is a lot more... That comes as a lot more powerful uh, mm. in the mix than uh, people are led to believe for a very, very new captain. Uh, uh, Kimberly, um, it is only really uh, hours away, to be honest, till the Winter Olympics start, apart from listening and hearing and, and watching your, your fiancé's fine work. Uh, what are you looking forward to in, the, in these uh, Winter Olympics? Oh, well, fear is fear, you know. I'm looking forward to my fiancé's fine work, but also my colleague Jordan Offer's fine work, who was there for TVNZ, who was also doing a stellar job. I'm glued to both channels currently. Um, but when it comes to Winter Olympics, oh, what I'm looking forward to, what am I not looking forward to, to be honest? I have such high hopes for the New Zealand team this year. I was lucky enough to cover the Games in Pyeongchang um, and to cover Zoe Sadowski's and Nico Porteous' surprise bronze medal there. They really are this time looking like they can do even better. I don't want to jinx anything and touch all of the wood, but it does seem like this is our best chance ever to win our first Winter Olympics gold, which would just be incredible. But then what I love about these games as well is it opens your eyes to so many sports you would never, ever think of viewing. Think curling as a prime example. Uh, The bobsled, of course, the Jamaican team, there, that's going to be a great storyline. There are so many different sports, and quite frankly, I'm quite excited for the next few weeks to just kind of 
sit on the couch or at the office and have a couple of different uh, channels going so that I can take in as much as possible because I do think these sports can really inspire and they kind of set the imagination on fire a little bit because they're so out of the way of what you normally see and these athletes are just incredible. So I'm pumped. Hey, Smithy. Yeah. Yeah. I've got one for you, mate. The biathlon. (laughs) Okay. The biathlon. It's the one where they cross-country ski and then they stop to shoot they, they, they either prone, they get, get down on their bellies and shoot, or they stand up and shoot, and then they're back into the cross-country skiing. It is the most eclectic mix of two sports I've ever seen, but it's fascinating viewing. And we've got and a Kiwi in it. And we've got a Kiwi in it. Yeah, we've got a Kiwi in it as well. Uh, Sam, okay, I'm going to return serve here and counter you on this. Uh, obviously, um, you've got access, so what time can we expect uh, Tom Brady this afternoon on your show? <laughs> I tell you what, I've said this since the day I started producing uh, Smithy, that my number one guest of all time would be Tom Brady. I tried to get him when he brought out a book about his, uh, his TB12 method. If you want to know how to survive until you're 47 like he is, then you just got to eat what he eats and train like he trains. I tried to get him on then, didn't, didn't quite work. So I'll keep trying, Smithy. It may take me 40 years, but uh, we'll get him on eventually. Well, if not, Tom, what about Mrs. Brady? Giselle? People, mm. Some people were speculating that she's the one who's pulling the strings and she, she's the one who told him to retire. Wow. Really? Really? She's isn't got all the, mon- she's got all the money, you know, Smithy. Isn't, uh, isn't that just typical, Sam? <laughs> and isn't that just a very good way to say goodbye to Kimberly Downs as well this morning? Uh, thank you very much, Kimberly, for your input. Sam, uh, as well, uh, enjoyed the panel this morning. range of subjects. Uh, it's never been better. So thanks uh, very much, and we'll have another panel uh, tomorrow morning at the same time. It's 10.44 here on SENZ. Now, register at longestday.org.nz. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, big uh, disappointment uh, overnight, of course, was uh, the All Whites being uh, cancelled. Uh, John, we were due to talk to uh, Jacob Spoonley uh, this morning about uh, that. But uh, obviously now for Danny Hay, that's it. Uh, in terms of game time, he was going to experiment with a few new players. Uh, he won't be able to answer those questions on the field of play anyway. So his next job is to try and pick, I guess, almost two squads. One when uh, those uh, that uh, can't be released from their clubs uh, can't play. Uh, and then one when they can. Yeah, so two games without the big stars like Chris Wood and Sapreet Singh and all the rest, and then the rest of the tournament with them. Yeah, just another example of when our sports people do go overseas, Smithy, they inevitably catch COVID. The Silver Ferns came back with a whole bunch of COVID as well, so when we do send them overseas, they normally come back with COVID, so it's a, a tricky situation, isn't it? I didn't pick up on that. How many were affected out of the uh, Silver Ferns on their recent trip to England? Uh, They didn't say exactly who had COVID, but they said a large number uh, of the squad came back with COVID. So I think about eight, um, I think, there or thereabouts. And I suppose people will say, well, there you go. That's why they cancelled the golf. Uh, That's why they're cancelling everything left, right and centre in this country as well. So uh, there, I guess, is the argument to the other side. Yeah, and NRL at the same time, they did a, uh, a, a survey of all the clubs, the 10 Sydney clubs, and 80% of them have had COVID of the playing numbers uh, in the NRL teams, and they reckon that's a good thing, because once you get it, you don't need to be tested for six weeks, so therefore once you get it, you've got six weeks that you can play, guaranteed. So it's a very, very tricky situation. Yeah, the ups and downs of it, what a mess, what an all-round mess. Uh, 10.51 here, Louis Herman Watt and the TAB before 11 o'clock. Hey fans, it's mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ.
The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. Yes, and Louis Herman Watt joins us this morning by phone. Uh, it's uh, racing under red uh, today at Tarapa, so uh, not a lot of people on course as such, Louis, but uh, there's still something uh, for us to look at on the tally and some value to be made. There is value to be made, Smithy, and I found some value in the main race, the Legacy Lodge Waikato Guineas. It's a group two. This is an epic race. Now, Dark Destroyer comes out, which means that there really, I mean, there's a bunch of chances. But for me, Seamus is going to get pretty close to the speed. It won't be leading. Field of gold for Tony Pike. This horse, it's the brother of Sherwood Forest, who's won a derby. The distance isn't going to be an issue. It's going to get up and probably lead. I'd expect the tempo to come all the way out of this race. I'm pretty sure the Perfect Pink will settle back from Barrier 9, one of the widest draws, and Opie will let the Perfect Pink go and try and make a big sustained run probably on the bend or thereabouts. But for me, if Field of Gold can lead them up, Seamus can sit in behind the speed. Seamus is going to be hard to stop. But Field of Gold at $7.170, even if you look at um, top two, $3, or win insurance on the TAB, three places, $4.20, I think it could be worth the spec. I'm tipping Seamus to win, but I don't think Field of Gold is out of this by any means, Smithy. Perfect, Pink. I just think it could be better than them all, and it's got the Le Creek form, but I think it's going to have to come from behind them, and when I can't really split them, like horses like Seamus and the Perfect Pink, I just want to be on the one that's in front. Okay, good stuff, Louie. Uh, we'll watch that race uh, coming, race eight this afternoon at uh, Tarapa, uh, which means uh, quite a big day at the TAB. Pip Morris joins us uh, this morning, and Pip also Greyhounds at Palmerston North. Certainly is, Smithy. Good morning to you, but playing second fiddle, of course, uh, to Tarapa with that group two guineas on, and we've got bonus back races as well there. Across the first four races, can tell hunters too that are quite interested. The best back Smithy in the first race there is Baldara, along with Industrialist. And there's a couple of big bets. Race nine at Tarapa, $18 into $4.50 is Elena Raw there, as long with a race of three, $900 on asterisks into $16.00. And for anyone interested on the guineas, the best back power play there is, of course, Seamus and Field of Gold to both run top four. That was 240 yesterday, so maybe now 170. Wow. It's those special bets that you've got to look out for at the TAB. So you've got to go to the website there. Uh, and also, uh, bear in mind, of course, uh, you've got to be 18 to uh, participate. Thanks very much uh, for your uh, little input there, Pip. Uh, really enjoyed that. And uh, I have written them down. So... Uh, looking forward to that. Uh, racing at Tarapa later today, Butch Castles and the team. Uh, they do a mighty job for racing, and it will be a good spectacle, particularly on telly, because that's how we have to watch it. Uh, speaking of that, Winter Olympics will be on telly soon. CEO of the Olympic Committee, Kieran Smith, with us shortly. 11.03 here on SENZ, and uh, I've really been looking forward to our next guest, um, because uh, the Winter Olympics is just three days away from opening officially, and Zoe sadoski Sinnott will be the first Kiwi in action on Saturday afternoon in the snowboard slope style. Uh, now, the New Zealand Olympic Committee is inviting Kiwis to get amongst the action at NZHQ, which is the first ever New Zealand team winter fan zone, and that will be in Wanaka. Uh, joining us now uh, to talk about this 
is the CEO of the New Zealand Olympic Committee, Kieran Smith. Thank you for your time this morning, Kieran. Uh, tell us a wee bit more, if you can, please, uh, about this fan zone. Yeah, good morning, Ian. Really nice to, to be on again. Um, yeah, look, during Tokyo Olympic Games last year, we had a really successful fan zone down at the Cloud here in Auckland, which was the hub for mums and dads and sponsors, supporters, the sports themselves, the families, kids, to come along and get into the action and watch, watch their um, heroes or, you know, Farnell compete and do that with others who have a vested interest and those who have supported them for the longest time and buy the merchandise and wear the kit and, and have exclusive crossovers to the athletes um, that are in, in the Olympic Village. Now, we're doing the same thing that what the sports community in, in Wanaka and Queenstown is very much about snow sports, so it's a logical pace for us to, to set up our operation down there this time. So... Yeah, looking forward to it. It'll be really good to get amongst the mums and dads. It's pretty exciting for them, but sad they can't be, be there in Beijing with their, with their children. Yeah, it is sad, actually. Uh, and obviously, there's plenty of reasons to get down there because I think apart from uh, day 10 and day 16, there are Kiwis in action um, uh, every day. Mm. And this is an exciting-looking team, I've got to say, Kieran, with the build-up they've had through um, the X Games, etc., uh, those that have competed in that, uh, the signs are good for a good following. They are good, and I mean, it's just so exciting, isn't it, to watch these this raw talent? And you know, I'm, I'm just gobsmacked when I see on TV what they what they're doing. You know, these sort of triple, quadruples, ins and outs, and you know, I mean, it's extraordinary just the sheer athleticism and courage, actually of these athletes on snow, which is, you know, extraordinary. And then we also have um, an athlete, Peter Michael, who's competing in the speed skating. Peter was part of, um, you know, the group that got fourth at the last Olympics. So, you know, he's, he's certainly a serious contender. Um, and then we have a young biathlete, um, Campbell Wright. It's his, his first Olympics. He went to the Winter Youth Olympics a couple of years ago and, and was really, um, you know, excelled and is certainly a young athlete on the rise. So overall, you're right, a very exciting team. Uh, word came through the, this morning um, uh, about the coverage. The coverage is going to be wall-to-wall, actually. Uh, I've been looking at the program on uh, Sky Sport. Um, very exciting yeah. time and a real chance, I think, for more awareness about a sport that's just, uh, and an event that sometimes has taken quite a big back seat. Maybe not this time round. No, not this time round. And I think it's always hard, isn't it, when we're here in the middle of the summer in New Zealand and there's cricket going on and tennis and all sorts of summer sports for us to, to sort of click into the zone, really, of, of winter sports. But but you're right. I think the pathway of, um, of our young, you know, the Zoes and Nikos and Alice Robinson as well, which is, she's been going extraordinarily well. We've seen, you know, those athletes over the last, year in particular, but, you know, four years more generally, just gradually improving and improving their results and, and their competition to such an extent that particularly Zoe and Nico now are, you know, going in as favourites, which, well, you know, that's a pretty extraordinary place to be when, when you're Kiwi, you know, you know, when we're talking about Winter Olympians in New Zealand. So, yeah, all around it is going to be really cool for people to watch that. Let's look at um, the support team for them because, uh, let's be fair, uh, these are kids. They're a lot of these uh, very, very young people um, in interesting times mm. to be competing in the real world. Having said that, they normally do anyway. It's very much an individual thing and they, they head off on their safaris and away they go. But 
In terms of support staff, uh, what are we looking at in terms of the Winter Olympics? We know we've got a team of 15. What about the backup? Yeah, we've got a team of 15 over there and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's quite challenging because each of these, um, as you rightly say, each of these disciplines has a very specialist team sitting in behind them, you know, that, that work around the technical equipment um, and getting that ready. So the actual backup team, I think, is around, um, must be, we've got 40, must be about 25 in the backup team. Um, our New Zealand Olympic you know, presence, the delegation presence in, in Beijing is limited. We've, we've been very mindful of the COVID scenario, so everyone there is absolutely, you know, on, on task with the team and with the athletes to make sure they're, they're adding value. So we've, we've got a small presence that is there to lead, and Marty Toomey, who was um, head of winter sports, um, winter, sport, winter games, and before that, Snow Sports New Zealand CEO, Marty is the um, chef de mission of the team there um, and that's surrounded with a group of people who are both coaching and then technical we've got strength and conditioners there and performance psychology because the psychology side of, of this particularly those extreme events is, is really important dynamic and we also have um, for the first time supported by the IOC we have an, a welfare officer in our team um, because you know the things around COVID although Although these young people are experienced and have been travelling the world competing now, this is probably their third season in COVID, it's, it's really very, very tricky and it's very, very uncertain. Um, you're always on the edge in terms of making sure you can get into the country and return negative tests at the right time. And, and if not, you know, you do end up in an isolation facility for a period until you, you know, you test um, negative again. So there's a lot of tension just in getting to the start line. So we're very, very mindful of that um, and making sure the right people are there to really help the athletes at the right time. Well, that's cool because, uh, and I touch wood here, uh, we've heard little, very little about uh, the dreaded COVID. It was major, major factor, wasn't it, in the Summer Olympics uh, in Tokyo. So mm-hmm. we haven't heard a lot going on around Beijing, of course, um, where we're led to believe originally uh, was pretty close to where um, this whole damn saga started. But so far, you from uh, Marty to me, and, and you're hearing things are going pretty well. Yeah, they're going really well. It, it, it is, um, you know, there's a huge adherence to um, to the countermeasures. We, we were very fortunate to learn a lot from Tokyo, and having a small team and an experienced travelling unit. Um, they've been very disciplined in making sure that they are limiting their exposure, that we're wearing the highest quality masks, that we are distant and remote from people. Um, the actual village itself is the three villages that our athletes are in, two in the mountains and one down in Beijing. Um, they, they're, they're very, very high quality villages and fortunately you know, quite spatial. That was one of our, our challenges in, in Tokyo is that it was very close quarters. So, so here we're lucky we've got more space. But the big trick at the moment with Omicron around the world is, is simply travel um, and the risk of travel. And, and these, um, these athletes have been around the world in, in areas where Omicron has been present. So, so it is knife edge. It's very much about discipline and keeping focused and, and really preparing well. So certainly so far everything's on track in that regard. Kieran, often when we talk about the Summer Olympics, uh, we talk about the success of them being measured in perhaps medals, um, individual performances, but medals. 
Uh, how do you look at the uh, Winter Olympics in terms of success? Yeah, I mean, I, I just reflect on the last 20 years with, with incredible pride in, in terms of what the progress New Zealand has made, particularly on snow. Um, I recall being part of a group at the end of, in the beginning of um, 2000s, where we were sitting down, and I was based in Dunedin at that time, and we were working with snow sports and other winter sports, and we were reflecting on the real challenges that we had in performances, um, and how do we lift those performances, and how do we start a high-performance program that, that really supported the athletes. Um, early days, we, we worked with the New Zealand Academy of Sports South Island and snow sports, and we started a program based in, in um, you know, in Central Otago, the Park and Pipe program. And it's taken, you know, since that small beginnings and the small investment to where they are today, it's remarkable. Um, you know, we have got, I think, 13 young athletes on snow at the Winter Olympics, all of whom, mm. you know, are in top 16 in their field. And we're now talking realistic chances of, if not medals, certainly, you know, high placings finals. And... If I reflect back that 20 years ago, you know, we, we were a mile away from that. So I think what it shows us is that, you know, th this is possible. It is possible to start and, and produce a world-class program if you have the right coaches, the right leadership. And fortunately, in New Zealand, we have exceptional facilities now in, you know, in the park and pipe um, area. So I, I think New Zealanders should be incredibly proud of what has been achieved in, the, in that program and through the investment of high performance sport and others and mums and dads, goodness me, it's a, you know, these are expensive sports. Um, you know, yeah. so I'm just really excited to see what, what happens over there in Beijing. It's certainly big. Yeah, yeah, a hell of a lot of really commitment. A hell, of a, a hell of a lot of commitment, as you say, that uh, we wouldn't have, have any idea about, uh, to be perfectly honest. Um, we just sort of take it for granted when we see them with their numbers on and heading down the slopes or whatever, we... We really have got no concept of, of the cost or uh, the commitment that uh, families have to make. But uh, just uh, changing the, the, just the subject uh, briefly into a, a sad but good one, um, the retirement of, of Hamish Bond. Um, I mean, you've uh, watched mm. over perhaps his whole career. Um, really, I, I guess quite emotional. You'd have, you'd have had a lot to do with him over the years. And um, what has he meant uh, from your individual point of view, Hamish Bond? Yeah, well, I mean, Hamish is, is, you know, such a hugely loved sports person um, in New Zealand. And I think because, if we can say such a thing, he just is the quintessential Kiwi guy. You know, he's, he's modest, he's got raw talent, he's brave. I mean, you know, his bravery to get out of the water after Rio and get onto the bike and get a bronze at the Commonwealth Games, you know, that, that was exceptional. And then to, to be brave enough, to go out there and say we're gonna we're gonna put this eight together, and we're gonna go to the Olympics, and we're gonna you know we're really gonna give it a shot. Now, that's a massive, massive you know it's the biggest goal you can imagine, isn't it? And the thing about him is he's got the engine you know to do it, and and he works so hard, and he's such a modest man. Um, you know, I, I've had a lot to do with him. It's a real privilege. He's a he's a Targo boy. Um, I remember. And I was again in the academy down in Dunedin and he came in there as a probably 15, 16-year-old coached by Fred Strawn, who those of you know Fred, he's a pretty tough customer. And Hamish was, you know, kind of a little thin, blonde-haired guy. And, you know, his ambitions were big, but he first of all wanted to put on some muscles because he was, 
you know, so 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 much more than everyone else. And wow, did he go about his business in such a professional way? And you know, and his achievements. You know, I think they really stand for amongst New Zealand sports achievements. And and I'd have to say, seeing that eight one, you know, in Tokyo probably would be one of the highlights of my sports career. Aside from some other outstanding female athletes' results, but. You know, it was part of a golden couple of hours for New Zealand sport and, and he was at the mm. forefront of that. I, I certainly believe that it would have been so much harder if he wasn't there, I think. Well, Kieran, uh, last time we spoke to you, you'd just announced that you would be stepping away uh, from your role as the boss of uh, New Zealand Olympic Committee. Um, how's the transition as it started uh, into your, from, from one into uh, perhaps what you're going to do next? Yeah, well, um, so I'm, I'm staying here through to the end of March. Um, Nikki Nickel is um, going to be taking over as the, uh, the New Zealand Olympic Committee. Nikki is presently works for New Zealand Rugby Union and is Deputy CEO there, so she'll do an outstanding job. Um, she's starting here in, in the middle of March, and so we'll work through handing the baton then. Um, I'm just really pleased to be able to see through and be, you know, overseeing this um, Winter Olympic campaign because it's it is pretty tricky in um, international sport these days and also we've obviously got the Birmingham Commonwealth Games in just a few months so it's kind of unusual at the moment in fact we're working on Beijing Games where you have you know, a, an elimination strategy in China, very, very, very strict protocols around COVID and how that works and then we're working with Birmingham in the UK and they, they've got a different approach again so we're certainly really you know, flat out and I'm, I'm pleased to be you know, part of the team that's working on those games. But yes, you know, I'll finish at the end of March and um, yeah, my, my vision is to contribute to the leadership of New Zealand Sport. I'm looking at um, working in a consultancy around sharing knowledge and experience that, that you know, hopefully has some value that I've learnt over the years both here in New Zealand and internationally. So really looking forward to that next step. Uh, well, we... Uh uh, we thank you for your work, your great work that you put on, and uh, the Winter Olympics, of course, are um, part and parcel of that, and uh, we look forward to that as well, Kieran. It's uh, so nice to catch up with you. Uh, um, uh, let's hope that um, the transition goes well, uh, and your next, uh, your next uh, effort in life and your next project is uh, as successful as this one has been, but it's been a wonderful job that you've done. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Thank you, Ian. All the best. Yeah, cheers. All the best to you too. Kieran Smith there, who is the uh, CEO of uh, the NZOC, um, handing over to Nikki Nickel at the end of March, uh, but very, very uh, eagerly awaiting uh, the next few weeks, uh, which of course involves the Winter Olympics and then the Commonwealth Games, which are not too far away. John, I was just thinking to myself while she was talking about Hamish Bond there, you reckon he'd ever get a seat on the New Zealand Olympic Committee? Oh, Surely. Surely he'd be so good, wouldn't he? I love that how he was uh, tiny, this tiny 15-year-old. You could just see him, can't you? Just skin and bones, mm. walking in saying, yeah, I want to be a multiple gold medalist. And people probably looking at him going, oh, yeah, whatever, mate. Uh, 20 years on, he won three golds. And now I'd say he'd be a guy who a lot of people would want uh, on their boards, Smithy, or working closely with athletes. He's just that type of guy, isn't he, that you'd, you'd want in your sporting organisation? Yeah, I mean, inspirational, absolutely inspirational, and quite clearly, um, once he does uh, have that family time and he steps away and just takes stock of what he wants to do next, he's a real, real young man, uh, I can't see him not being involved uh, at some point in the welfare of sports people, 
the progress of sports people, all that sort of thing. I mean, he, he's come through it uh, with flying colours and great success. So Hamish Bond, uh, category there, uh, a candidate there for sure. Uh, he might want to have um, bought some Andre's pies over the years. I was just reading about the story yesterday, actually. This fellow, Andre Glenn, uh, he's got uh, a shop that started in Motoroa over uh, in Taranaki, right? Uh, Andre, uh, Andre Glenn, he's been making pies, John, since 1972. Award-winning pies since 1972. 50 years of pie making. He now, yeah. He's now Andre's Pies in Patisserie, I think, uh, in New Plymouth City itself. 50 years of making pies, and I was interested to read the article. Um, quite interested in pies, as you can imagine. But this, um, uh, he said, look, when we first started making pies way, way back, the thought of putting cheese in a mince or steak pie was an absolute joke. You'd have been laughed out of town. Who would have ever thought you'd put cheese in a meat pie? And now, of course, it's the biggest seller. Yeah. The mince and cheese and the steak and cheese is the biggest. So uh, even Andre from Andre's Pies has had to learn to adapt. But <laughs> I salute you, sir. I absolutely <laughs> salute you. 50 years in the pie-making business. It's 11.21 here on SENZ. Cancer Society Longest Day Golf Challenge is on now. Register at longestday.org.nz. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. And it is 11.26, so we're coming up to Stump Smithy very shortly. We'll request your phone calls uh, on 0800 150 uh, in around about four minutes' time. Um, and we spoke this morning, didn't we, to Will Young, and uh, one of the subjects we talked about was the IPL. He said he's not ready yet. Uh, he doesn't think he's got the right credentials to go into the auction. He's going to go and play county cricket at North Hants instead and to further develop his game. Very balanced uh, young man, he sounds, and uh, I think he's got a lot of runs in him from New Zealand across um, the forms of the game that they pick him in. Uh, but of interest, John, I was looking through this list and the story that we raised uh, earlier was no Kyle Jamison. Um, last year, of course, at the very last minute, he came in and picked up $2.86 million New Zealand dollars. It's 15 crore rupees um, in that language. Uh, that's the most by New Zealand, the fourth highest in the IPL's actual history. This time around, only Kane Williamson has been retained, uh, and that's, of course, by... The Sunrisers, Hyderabad, he will be the captain of that franchise and he's going to bank uh, around about $2.5 million himself, um, which is uh, justified and uh, he'll be doing his best to get that elbow right for that, I would imagine. Uh, that is life-changing. Uh, but there are 24 New Zealanders uh, who will be uh, in the bidding war among the 10 teams, including two new additions to uh, the IPL next year, the Lucknow Supergiants and Team Ahmedabad. Uh, the auction takes place on the 12th and 13th of February, and uh, Mike Hesson has actually winged his way over there. Uh, let's hope he can get back this time. Uh, but those names, uh, those 24 names, John Trent Bolt, I think is a bit of a certainty. Lockie Ferguson will be in the frame. James Neesham is one of those bit players that people tend to like. Uh, East Sodi Van Allen had a taste of it, but not too much. Uh, Devin Conway is an interesting one, uh, John. Uh, we'll put a line under Devin Conway. And Daryl Mitchell, after the T. 20 uh, World Cup. Uh, he's won. Mitchell Santner uh, continues to have interest, particularly in the bowling side of things. Uh, Phillips has had a little look at it. Seifert certainly has been uh, a bit of a, um, a devotee to um, Brendan McCullum's uh, Kolkata Knight Riders as such. Adam Milne has been around. And then you get to some of the names uh, of interest. Todd Astle uh, floating the boat out there. Colin Munro, of course, so who's been so good in the BBL. You'd look at him. Cam Fletcher, who's been hot round here. Hamish Bennett, Blair Tickner, Anuru Kitchen, Henry, Henry Shipley, 
who's had a terrific T20, has uh, put his name in the hat. Colin de Grandholm, Martin Guptill. What about Martin Guptill this time around? Their old wags, Neil Wagner's had a crack. So I, I guess it's just... Uh, putting uh, the, the hook on the line and throwing it in and hoping you get a bite, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. So I think each team has protected four players, uh, so it's a pretty massive pool of talent there with two extra teams. Uh, what luck now, Super Giants. That's not a bad name for a team. Could be my uh, IPL team. I haven't got one. Um, but if you're a New Zealander, generally if you're a batter, it's hard to get a gig, isn't it? You n- it normally goes to the pace bowlers or the all-rounders. So I'm expecting... Definitely uh, Mitchell Santner, James Neesham to get picked up. Trent Bolt, I think, is in the top 10 uh, players. I think they've uh, uh, got a top 10 that get more money than anyone else, so I'd say he's going to have a bloody good payday and deserves one. Uh, Tim Southey, probably another guy. Um, I don't think... uh, I know there's three Kiwi coaches over there, Smithy, but how many team owners and everything are looking at the Super Smash, do you think, and going like, oh, Cam Fletcher or Henry Shipley have been doing well in that New Zealand domestic comp. I'm not sure whether that gets you a gig in the IPL. What about you? Uh, Well, I would have said the same about Kyle Jamison last year. There might have been a bit of interest, but not to that extent. You just never know. You just never know, and uh, your position in the auction uh, is also a very interesting one. If your name is Willie Watson, you're right down the bottom because they used to do it. Uh, alphabetically, you'd really needed to have a name like uh, Arnold Aardvark, uh, and then you'd had uh, a real big chance of, of getting a check early on in the piece. Uh, John, you will not be a fan of the new Ahmedabad team, uh, Team Ahmedabad, because uh, last time I was uh, uh, in uh, India, Ahmedabad was part of a very dry state, so that would be no nah, good to you. Nah. It's 11.30, nah, 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 11.30 here on SCNZ. 0800 150811. Uh, 100 bucks today. It's jackpot day and the race is at Tarapa. You might need the, the 100 bucks. That'd be nice. 0800 150811. Good luck to you all. Here's the news. Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. That's right, a jackpot, because Smithy stumped someone yesterday on the third question, which means we have $100 from the TAB to give away today, as well as our sleep drops, New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements, and we're heading to South Canterbury, the province of my birth, but not the town of my birth, it's Geraldine and it's Charlie. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning, Max, in Christchurch at the moment, but I'm from Geraldine, so... Of course you are. You travelling around a bit with your job? Oh, I do, I do. Travel a lot, mate. Yeah. So where are you at the moment? Are you in the car at the moment doing some deliveries or something? No, I'm just heading back to the branch, mate. I'm, I'm actually in Christchurch at the moment. Back to the branch. Good. Well, I'll tell you what, if you are in Christchurch, go to Dimitri's. They have the best souvlakis in New Zealand. They are amazing. If you haven't had lunch... I'll do that. So Souvlaki is a, a favourite dish, mate. It's really tasty. I do like them. Yeah, delicious. Got to get the lamb as well with a little bit of chilli. I uh, tell you what, you'll never have anything better. Um, and hopefully you can pay with with it with some winnings, 100 bucks from the TAB. Wouldn't that be nice? So I, you're... Think I, I, think I'm zero, I think I'm zero off from three with Smitty, but we'll give it a bucket. Oh, that's right. You are, Charlie. You are. So your sporting categories today are netball, Winter Olympics, and golf. Do you like any of those, Charlie? Um, mate, I'll go Winter Olympics, why not? Yeah, finally, oh, no. tis the season. Yeah. It's been on the list, I think, all year. So let's give it a crack. All right, Charlie. Question number one on the Winter Olympics. There's a bit of hype around the New Zealand Winter Olympics team this year with the likes of Zoe Sadowski-Sinnott and Nico Porteous in red-hot form. 
How many athletes make up the New Zealand team in Beijing? I've got two odd numbers. One of them unlucky and the other one two above that. Um, the latest one I heard was 15, mate, so I'll go with that. And you got to tell me There's that. There's a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Well done, Charlie. 15 is correct, Smithy. We know that now, don't we? Yeah, we do. We're just talking to uh, Kieran Smith, the CEO. So 15 and uh, some great medal chances as well. And uh, you're only two away from being uh, a gold medalist yourself. Uh, Charlie, all the best, boy, as the pressure starts to build on you. Oh, you can feel it, can't you, Charlie? Question number two. Oh, yeah, mate. (laughs) Zoe and Nico both won bronze medals in 2018. What events did they win them in? They were snowboarding. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Not correct. Oh, no. And need to be a bit more specific as well. Smither, your oh, chance for a stumping. What? Do, do, um, what events? Yeah. I mean, uh, is, it, uh, is, it, is it the half pipe? For who? Which, Zoe or Nico? The dipstick. Yeah. The dipstick. <laughs> okay. The half pipe is... Yep, so Nico um, win the free ski half pipe. I'll give you that one. What about Zoe? What did yeah. she win hers in? The full pipe. Oh, no, that would mean they have to go around in circles. Um, I don't know. I thought she was half pipe as well. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. The full pipe. I'd like to see that going round and round and round. They're probably not too far away from that. Uh, Zoe was snowboarding in the big air. The big air. So one ramp jump up, do one awesome trick and win a bronze medal. So that means you're still alive, Charlie. Going into the last hey, question. Who was the, the first medal in Winter Olympics in New Zealand? I've got that for you. All right. Well, this question must be uh, right up your alley then. For the 100 bucks, for the sleep drops, who was the first New Zealander to win a Winter Olympics medal? Nicholson in the uh, speed skating, wasn't it? Short track. One of the worst things I have ever hey. seen done on a cricket field. Not correct. Smithy, are we going to jackpot uh, again? Well, I, my memory goes far back. Uh, someone that rang up yesterday and uh, said Annalisa Koberger. So here we go. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Annalisa Koberger, 1992 in the slalom, was our only medalist until four years ago when those two kids won two bronze. So, Charlie, you're 0 4 now, mate, and it is going to jackpot to another day. Mate, that's good. We didn't come back. <laughs> uh, good on you, Charlie. Cheers, fellas. Cheers, Charlie. Thank you very much for partaking. We look forward to hearing from you again. Uh, representing Geraldine, good, very nice part of the world. Eleven thirty-seven here, uh, eleven thirty-eight actually. Um, so no winner there. One hundred and fifty bucks tomorrow. Um, and yes, John, a text has come in and said uh, on the souvlaki. Um, no, John. Chili on lamb, mate. No way. What? Mint jelly. Oh, okay. Go well, says uh, Anthony. Mint jelly. <laughs> Mint jelly and a souvlaki. I've never seen it, but it sounds bloody good to me. Sound I can almost taste it. It sounds, uh, it tastes good. Tastes good and I haven't even got one. Uh, 11.38 and uh, we'll be back shortly with some more texts uh, and uh, also uh, a couple more issues to talk about. And then, of course, uh, we'll be with staff just prior to midday. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ.
11.43 here as well. Staffy just around the corner. Uh, just speaking, of course, to Kieran Smith uh, about the Winter Olympics. And uh, she was saying that so far things uh, are looking very good, particularly from a New Zealand point of view in terms of testing and um, no reactions uh, to COVID at this point. But uh, having said that, I've just been uh, updating myself uh, on information coming out of there. Uh, and it seems that athletes and teams officials are testing positive for COVID-19 at a much higher rate uh, than other people arriving in China for the Beijing Winter Olympics. Uh, the org- organisers have released figures showing that 11 positive tests for COVID-19 among 379 athletes and officials arriving on Monday. Uh, they have been taken into isolation hotels to limit the spread of the infection and could miss their events as uh, a result of that. Now, that positive test rate of 2.9% uh, for athletes and officials compared to 0.66% for Olympic stakeholders, in other words, a group of people which includes workers and media, like uh, the ones that we've been sending over there uh, to cover it on our behalf, uh, in that same period of time. And over that, uh, remember, 379 athletes tested uh, there and 1,059 people tested in that latter category. So um, quite clearly, um, that is not uh, a very good sign, uh, JD, but... No. Uh, we'll keep an eye on it at this stage, uh, uh, unscathed. And I'm pretty well sure that most of our uh, athletes are in there, firmly ensconced there, not waiting to arrive. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Zoe's there. She did media yesterday, and I think quite a few of the other um, snowboarders and free skiers as well uh, who do those more extreme events are there because, man, that must be scary because going through airports and all that seems to be the the place where you can catch it. And, like, man, if Zoe got it now, she's competing on Saturday. You know, your your Olympics is over because you touched the wrong thing or came into contact with the wrong person at an airport. You know, it's, it's quite uh, scary from that side of things, and that's why Karen Smith brought it up that the mental skills coaches and things and the support staff that they have over there are so important to keep our athletes focused on what's ahead of them, and they'll worry about everything else. So don't worry about it. We'll keep you safe. But when the uh, rates are higher for the athletes than for everyone else arriving, that's a little bit concerning, Smithy. It is actually, so uh, uh, we'll, we will keep uh, a very close eye on that because we certainly don't want it to, to disrupt uh, anything um, that uh, our particular team are involved in. John, tell us uh, about these uh, competitions that we've got going. This, what's a sports song countdown? I'm reading about this for, uh, very much for the first time. The night and day sports song countdown is on uh, all this month, so uh, you can get, uh, what, double eight double three is our text number. You can vote by calling... Um, 0800 as well. Um, tell us a wee bit about this countdown, this night and day countdown. Yeah, well, we did our 25 greatest New Zealand sporting moments last year, and that went off. We uh, love the interaction with people sending in texts and calling, so we thought, what can we do this year? It's maybe a little bit more fun, you know, because everyone's a bit down at the moment and everything's a bit serious. So we're going to do a countdown, thanks to Night and Day, top 25 sporting songs. And I don't know about you, Smithy, but that beautiful Crusaders song that they play when their horses run around the field, that's got to be somewhere near the top, you'd imagine. Give it a rest, John. Um, you know, give it a rest. I mean, sporting anthems. I mean, Liverpool Football Club. I don't even like Liverpool, but... Um, Ferry cross the Mersey, you know, Jerry and the Pacemakers stuff. I mean, you'll never walk alone. Surely that is a classic. Anthem in sport. Yeah. Is it not? It, well, it'd be right up there. Um, I quite like ones with not m- uh, many lyrics because when you're quite inebriated, you forget a lot of the lyrics. So you can just kind of chant along. 
So um, I think there's what, hey, that one's quite good for me. All those dart songs where you basically just chant a lot and clap um, are probably right up my alley, Smithy. But Jerry and the Pacemakers for you, fair enough. I suppose so. Well, what about, um, I guess, Tina Turner way back for the NRL, Simply the Best? Oh, yeah. Oh, it's still awesome. I still actually go on YouTube and watch that. Tina Turner and Rugby League, synonymous. Synonymous. You're very good at this, Smithy. We are the champions. We are the champions. What about that one? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a bit overplayed for me um, because I hear it all the time with you know Tasman winning a couple of times in a row and the Crusaders. So it gets a little bit overplayed, uh, but not last year, of course. But no, yeah, it's, it's a good one. Any sort of queen. Yeah, well, Brian and I would be uh, something about a magpie. Um, come on the bay. Uh, uh, if they're not in the top twenty, both of those. Uh, then the competition's not really valid, is it, to be honest? Uh, there's another one going too, um, NZTR, the thoroughbred owners, loveracing.nz, and New Zealand Bloodstock want you to grab your mates and enter a team to win. Now, this is a really cool one as well. If your team is successful, you will be walking away with, bang, a 10% share in a racehorse purchased at Karaka two, uh, 2022. Wow. Uh, training fees covered for two years. Double wow. And then you travel to Auckland for a VIP, ex- VIP experience at uh, Vodafone Derby Day, uh, which is coming up in March, and then uh, go to the sale straight afterwards at, uh, at Karaka. That'd be fantastic. Uh, and all you have to do is uh, enter now at loveracing.nz slash share the thrill. So yet another uh, great concept coming up there. Uh, so there, there's two competitions. Uh, and speaking of competitions, two news coming through, and uh, I had to be rejigged to realise this again, but... Uh, Cricket Now is the first discipline to announce its complete lineup for the Birmingham 2022 Commonwealth Games after Sri Lanka was confirmed as the eighth team in the Women's T20 Tournament. Now, Australia, Barbados, uh, not the West Indies, Barbados competes as an as a individual nation, of course. Uh, England, India, New Zealand, South Africa and Pakistan have uh, already qualified, but now Sri Lanka are added to this list. And uh, women's cricket will make its first entry into the Commonwealth Games. Second time only uh, that cricket features in uh, the multi multidiscipline event after the men's competition was part of the Commonwealth Games in Kuala Lumpur in 1998. And it is considered a massive opportunity to bring the game to audiences. A lot of those games will be played at Edgebaston being in Birmingham. Uh, John, I went to the Commonwealth Games cricket for men and uh, Kuala Lumpur as a commentator, it was hot. Man, it was hot. What was the format? Uh, uh, format was 50 over cricket on very slow pitches with very slow outfields. Um, so it wasn't a great run production thing. It wasn't, I'll be perfectly honest, I don't think it was a great spectacle. I don't think it did anything for cricket, but certainly uh, it was tried. And I, I think the fact that it didn't do a lot for cricket um, is emphasising the fact that we haven't had it again till this time around and this time the, it's not the men it's the women yeah. so uh, the women and uh, really a huge year for women's sport and that's something for the white ferns to be focusing on as well after the world cup uh, the possibility of a trip a unique trip to the commonwealth games so uh, text coming from mark staffy did sporting songs last year john day that song is disgusting try nine three nine three versus canterbury nine three nine three Versus Canterbury. You got a following, yeah. Work on that one. 
Okay. Nine three nine three first Canterbury. Work really about, on that one. Okay, we can talk to Staffy about this maybe in his countdown and how it differentiates from this one uh, when he comes up next, Smithy. Okay. Yep, and he is. Uh, you've done that well, John. You've queued Staffy uh, just around the corner.